Americans are being bled dry at the gas pump, and the high energy prices are not only emptying our wallets, but also driving up the cost of virtually everything else that we purchase. These high energy prices are directly attributable to decisions that Joe Biden has made. Decisions on oil pipelines, decisions on domestic energy production, decisions on Russia and Ukraine. But never mind all that. The White House is claiming victory because gas prices declined a little bit last month. The Treasury Department estimates that the historic release of oil by President Biden and international partners has reduced gas prices by up to about 40 cents per gallon, as we have shared with you all last week. Uh, more work remains, but the fact is that we are currently experiencing the fastest decline in gas prices in over a decade. If a gambler loses his house at the casino, and then the next week, wins back a couple hundred bucks at the slot machines. That does not mean that he is a winner. He, he is the opposite of a winner. He is way, way down. Americans do not care how fast or slow the gas prices change. They care about what the gas prices are. The week Joe Biden took office, the average price of gasoline was $2.39 per gallon. Six and a half months after Joe Biden took office, one year ago today, gas was $3.17 per gallon. Today, do you know what it is? After the steepest decline of gas prices ever in history, today, gas is $4.21 per gallon. That means that gas is 33%, one third more expensive today than it was just a year ago. That means that gas is 76% more expensive today than it was the day Joe Biden took office. And by the way, those numbers are artificially low. Those numbers are with Joe Biden currently irresponsibly draining our strategic petroleum reserve of 1 million barrels of oil per day through the midterm elections, because he knows that Democrats are going to be punished at the polls for his terrible policies, as well they should be. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Hugh Jorgen, who says, Hugh Jorgen, that's funny, who says, I'm having a lot of fun uh, going to liberal media comment sections and asking them why Biden is building portions of Trump's border wall. Seeing them lose their minds never gets old. That is such a great story, and very, very few people are talking about it. But Joe Biden now, caught between a rock and a hard place, desperately trying to resurrect his just dead poll numbers, is now sort of building part of Trump's border wall. It's so great. Got to do it. When you want to build things, especially help build and fix things on your car, you got to check out Rock Auto. Right now, head on over to rockauto.com, enter Knowles in their How Did You Hear About Us box. Did you know that some states now have laws that say as early as the 2030 model year, new vehicles will have to be electric in order to be registered, which means that people are going to keep repairing and driving their old cars for generations. Also means you better go to rockauto.com right now and order all the parts that you need to properly maintain and repair your car. 
Your great grandkids might be driving that car someday. It's going to be like we're all living in Cuba. The cars do look very nice there. Not ideal conditions, but the cars do look very nice. When you want to repair your car, you go to Rock Auto. It's as simple as that. They've been in the auto parts business for 20 years, family owned. The goal is to make auto parts available and affordable for everybody to keep you safe on the road. They achieve that goal beautifully. Same prices for pros and do-it-yourselfers. No gimmicks. It's just easy. You need brakes, shocks, carpet, wipers, headlights, mirrors, mufflers, lug nuts, any other parts you need, you go to rockauto.com. Enter Knowles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Do they think we're stupid? Do they think we're idiots? Do they? When, when, when the White House comes out and says, actually, we have great news on gas prices. Oh, you shouldn't complain about gas prices. It's all really great, actually, because the decline over the past month has been big. You say, okay, the decline has been big. Well, in California, gas was over $8 a gallon. So, okay, it declined a little bit, or even, even if it declined a lot, the gas prices are still much, much higher than before Biden took office, and they're much, much higher than they were even a year ago. That's not good. Oh, great. Th- you made things so bad that people just couldn't afford gas at all, so you had to release a million barrels of oil a day from the strategic reserve because of your stupid policies. Not for the purpose of the strategic petroleum reserve, which is in case of war, which is in case of some national emergency. It's, it's an emergency that you, Joe Biden, created because of your dumb energy policies and your dumb foreign policy, and now you're trying to put a Band-Aid over that to get you through the midterm elections, and even so, the gas prices are through the roof. And you, you want us, you want to urinate on our legs and tell us that it's raining. That's what they're doing. They're probably going to tell us it's global warming or something like that. But we know, I think people know a little bit better than that. And you saw it, you, you saw it just yesterday when Peter Ducey at, at the White House briefing was talking to the president's spokesman, asked about this issue that my favorite comment talked about, which is this issue of Joe Biden after lambasting Trump for the border wall for the entire 2020 campaign. Now, building parts of the wall. Why is the Biden administration building a border wall in Arizona? So um, we are not uh, we're not finishing the wall. Uh, we are cleaning up the mess the prior administration uh, left behind in their in their failed attempt uh, to build a wall. But President Biden, when he was a candidate, said there will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration. So what changed? We are not finishing the wall. If walls work in that part of Arizona, is this the administration trying to get migrants to cross somewhere else, like in Texas? What What is the plan? We are not finishing a wall. We are cleaning up the mess that the prior administration made. We are trying to save lives. This is what is this is what the prior administration left behind that we are now cleaning up. This girl, Corinne Jean-Pierre, is not nearly as good at this as her predecessor was, Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki was fine at being a press secretary. She wasn't as good as some of the Trump administration press secretaries, who were some of the best that we'd had in 20 years. But Corinne Jean-Pierre is really, really bad. The, the job of a press secretary very often is to deflect. So you get asked a question. It's a tough question. You don't want to give the answer, so you deflect, but you try to do it in a way that is subtle, that is clever, that makes it seem like you're answering the question. Corinne Jean-Pierre can't do that. Peter Ducey asks a simple question. He says, okay, the Biden administration is building parts of Trump's wall. Biden said he would not build another foot of wall. Now they are building parts of Trump's wall. What changed? She says, we're not finishing the wall. Uh, okay, no one accused you of finishing the wall. We're asking why you're building more of the wall. We're not finishing it. 
I, I know you're not. I understand that. No one suggested that you are finished. I'm not having a turkey sandwich on Wednesday morning. Okay. That has no one raised that. No one raised that prospect at all. I want you to answer the question that I'm asking you, which is, why is Joe Biden currently building parts of the wall? We're cleaning up the mess the previous administration made. Well, if, okay. If you're saying that the border wall that Trump built or partially built is a mess and you want to clean up that mess, that means you would dismantle the wall. But the Biden administration is not dismantling the wall. They're doing the opposite. They're building more of the wall. Why are they building more of the wall? Because the walls work. Why is Biden doing it right now after promising that he wouldn't, after Democrats vilified the wall for for five years? Biden is building more of that wall because while mass migration helps the Democrats in the long term, because it changes the voting demographics of the country in a way that is advantageous to Democrats, maybe not as advantageous as they hope it is because Hispanics are shifting Republican right now, But overall, it does give Democrats a pretty major voting advantage. So they know in the long run that's going to help them. In the short run, though, it's going to kill them because everyone hates mass migration, because it's lawless, because it screws up labor markets, because it's a national security threat, because it causes all sorts of disorder in smaller communities, border communities right there near Mexico, because it leads to a lot of drugs coming to the country, because it leads to a lot of a lot of prostitution, not a lot of constitution, a lot of prostitution leads to a lot of gang activity. So it's just, it's just awful. And the Mexican cartels control the entire border. If you want to come into the country illegally, you have to go through the cartel. So it introduces organized crime in here, essentially a, a sort of paramilitary in Mexico. It's just awful. In the short run, the Democrats know it's going to kill them at the polls in November. And so they've got to try to do something about it. But the minute they do anything about it, they're going to admit that Trump was right. So they can't do that. So now they're impotent. They want to have their cake and eat it too. This is what you're seeing right now. Forget about the foreign policy with Mexico. This is what you're seeing with the foreign policy on the other side of the world. Stunning, stunning statement yesterday from the Pentagon under Joe Biden's leadership. Uh, John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, came out and said, in no uncertain terms, the United States does not want independence for Taiwan. We have repeatedly said that we oppose any unilateral changes to the status quo from either side. We have said that we do not support Taiwan independence. And we have said that we expect cross-strait differences to be resolved by peaceful means. We have communicated this directly to the PRC at the highest levels. The United States doesn't support Taiwan independence? The United States has supported Taiwan independence for what, 80 years now or something? A little less than 70 years? When the communists took power in China, the previous nationalist government in China fled to Taiwan. So the official position of the United States for many, many decades now is that Taiwan is really the legitimate government of China. And then when we started to acknowledge that the communists had entrenched themselves in power there, we we insisted upon the independence of Taiwan. China has been trying to grab Taiwan now for a very long time. And a lot of the geostrategic maneuvering that you're seeing is over the status of Taiwan. And then all of a sudden, Joe Biden completely flips the script, says, forget Taiwan. We don't care. We don't want it to be independent. And actually, that's what we've said all along. What are you talking about, bro? We have the receipts. I have a tweet here from Joe Biden from May 19th, 2020, while he's running for president. He says, Taiwan's thriving democracy and response to COVID-19 are an example to the world. America's support for Taiwan must remain strong, principled, and bipartisan. 
until I'm elected president, at which point we're going to sell these people down the river and sell America's foreign policy down the river at every single turn, on domestic policy, on foreign policy, everywhere Joe Biden can look. What do you get? Weakness, weakness, weakness. When you want to feel strong, when you don't want to feel anemic, you want to have, have a, lots of nice iron pumping through your body, you've got to check out Good Ranchers. Right now, head on over to GoodRanchers.com slash Back to school season is upon us. And while some American kids are excited to get back to the classroom, I know a lot of kids, they're not so excited to go back to school. And you know why? Because these children don't know where their meals will be coming from this semester. But I do, because I know that Good Ranchers has made it their mission to donate 100,000 high-quality meals to kids facing food insecurity and malnourishment this fall semester. It's a really, really wonderful thing to do. Even for kids who are not facing these kinds of problems, they would be so lucky and thrilled to know that they've got food coming from good ranchers. Good ranchers will donate a nutritious meal to a child in need for every box ordered through the month of August. Help them reach their goal of 100,000 donated meals by ordering your box today at goodranchers.com slash Knowles. Good Ranchers is a wonderful, award-winning American food company. I eat their stuff probably three days a week at this point. I just, I adore it. Great company. Right now, use my code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Get $30 off your order plus free shipping. Your purchase furthers their mission to donate 100,000 high-quality meals to children in need. It's a great cause. It's great food. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Knowles. Make sure you use that code Knowles when you place your order. And let's help these guys hit their goal. Joe Biden's take on Taiwan is perfectly, precisely the opposite of the foreign policy that you want. There's going to be a divide among conservatives. Some conservatives are going to want a robust defense of Taiwan. Those are going to be the more interventionist types. Some conservatives are going to say, who cares about Taiwan? Let China have it. Those are going to be the isolationist types. Whichever side you are on, or if you're like most people, somewhere in the middle and you vacillate depending on the circumstances, regardless of where you stand on foreign policy broadly, what I think everybody wants is strength. You want to seem strong. Whether you use that force in, in foreign adventurism or whether you don't use that force, you want the rest of the world to fear you, to stay in line, to believe that there is a credible threat that you can use that force. And then when people believe that, usually you don't have to actually use it. This is why Donald Trump's foreign policy was so insanely effective. People said when Trump got elected, this guy's a madman, he's a lunatic, he's going to blow up the world. Oh no, he's tweeting at Kim Jong-un about his big nuclear button that works. He's calling him fat. Oh no, this is going to blow up the world. No, it's, it didn't. An un Every area of foreign policy, when we're talking about China, when we're talking, he finally got China to make some trade concessions after multiple administrations failed at that. On Israel and Palestine, oh my gosh, he, he was, Donald Trump was so effective on peace in the Middle East, they named a town after him, a train station and a town in Israel. That's how effective he was. Took out Iran's top general, ripped up that stupid nuclear program that would have given Iran a, a nuclear weapon. He got Saudi Arabia to normalize relations with Israel or to begin to normalize relations with Israel. He got Kim Jong-un to back down. He even, for goodness sakes, he visited the DMZ, Donald Trump. He, on every area of foreign policy, he was so extremely effective. Why? 
Is it because he was a huge interventionist? He wasn't really a huge interventionist. He ran as an anti-war candidate. He ran against the Bush administration legacy. Is it because he was an isolationist? He wasn't really an isolationist either. You remember when he just droned out General Soleimani? You remember when he dropped the mother of all bombs in the Middle East? I don't even remember where in the Middle East he used it. Trump was, he was sometimes isolationist. He was sometimes interventionist. Overall, he was unpredictable and he projected strength. Foreign leaders, and actually domestic leaders too, just didn't know what Trump was going to do. And they knew that he was going to project strength. That was the one thing they did know, but they didn't know how he would use it. Maybe he'd back off in a certain area. Maybe he would go drop the mother of all bombs. Maybe he'd click the nuclear freaking button. People just didn't know. And it kept everybody in line. This is like in, in areas that have strong protections for the Second Amendment, in areas where you have concealed carry, as a, as a legal option. People tend to be a little bit more polite, okay? <laughs> when you don't know who's packing, you're going to be a little bit nicer than in an area where you're in a gun-free zone and then you, you, everybody mouths off because you know there are no threats. With Trump, he was totally unpredictable. It was the best foreign policy of my lifetime, including George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush, for his many faults as president, had a generally relatively decent foreign policy, much better than the foreign policy of his three immediate successors, Clinton, Bush II, and Obama. But Trump's was better than, than Bush's. Trump had this brilliant foreign policy because he projected strength and therefore he didn't need to use it. Joe Biden constantly projects weakness. That's why we might need to use it. In Ukraine, he projected weakness. Vladimir Zelensky blames Joe Biden for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. On Taiwan, he's projecting weakness. What's going to happen? Certainly, China is going to continue to aggress in Taiwan. Taiwan is already calling troops up as though they need to prepare for war. The total, on every, it's unbelievable how, how perfectly, you, you can count on how perfectly wrong Biden's decisions will be. And people know it. Joe Biden's sixth quarter approval ratings, according to Gallup, are the lowest ever recorded, ever. <laughs> not just in a decade, not just in two decades, not just for this quarter, just ever, Okay. His approval rating has sunk to 38% in the Gallup survey. This is the lowest approval rating of his presidency and the lowest approval rating in Gallup's 74-year history. So what can the Democrats do? They're going to try to gin up a bunch of contrived fake stuff. They're going to try to bring COVID back. They're going to try to lock down. They're going to try to encourage widespread mail-in ballots because it's easier to cheat. They're going to try to turn election day into election month or election season. And they're, they're also going to, to encourage a recession. And they're going to encourage a recession because you need to get through the recession to come out of the recession. And if Joe Biden is going to lose some Democrats in 2022, he'd rather put himself in a better position for 2024. But you are going to see desperate, desperate moves. The, the one desperate action that the Dems have been trying to gin up for 2022 is this January 6th committee. And, and they've been holding this kangaroo court and they've been trying their political opponents without a defense present. And they, they are now, the federal prosecutors are even throwing people in prison, which we'll get to in a second. How is this playing though? How is this playing? Well, CNN just went up to Wyoming to interview 
Liz Cheney's constituents, Liz Cheney, a nominal Republican who is for all intents and purposes a Democrat now, and not just any Democrat, she's a very vocal Democrat who is the face of the January 6th hearings because she hates Donald Trump and, and Donald Trump's voters, namely half the country. So they went up to Wyoming and said, okay, do you do you intend to vote for Liz Cheney and her principled, true conservative leadership on the January 6th hearings? Take a listen. At Frontier Days in Cheyenne, Wyoming, we found plenty of Republican voters bucking the Cheney name and vowing not to support Congresswoman Liz Cheney for a fourth term. Are you planning to vote for Liz Cheney? Can I cuss? Hell no. Are you planning to support Liz Cheney? Absolutely not. What are your thoughts about Liz Cheney running for a fourth term? Um, personally, I think she said for three too many. Keep in mind, in 2020, Donald Trump won about 70% of the vote in Wyoming. So Liz Cheney's work on the January 6th investigation isn't playing so well with many Wyoming voters. She's done us dirty. How so? Oh, God. Look at what, how she's done Trump. I'm a, I'm a Trump fan. I'm sorry. So she lost your vote because of her role on the January 6th committee and what she's yes. doing about Trump? Yes. She's supposed to be supporting him. She's a Republican, for crying out loud. I find her work on the January 6th committee just repulsive. How do you feel about her work on the January 6th committee and her role? It's all a hoax. It's all propaganda. It has nothing to do with anything. It's a witch hunt. Fact check, true. Love those voters. Great job, man. I, I need to get a vacation home in Wyoming. We got to sell more blank books so that I can buy a vacation home and I can do it in Wyoming because those people have the right idea and Liz Cheney has the wrong idea and CNN is showing that. That's the most interesting part here. CNN has spent the last year building up Liz Cheney because Liz Cheney has spent the last year, more than the last year, attacking her fellow Republicans and attacking Donald Trump. So CNN loves that, and they built up Liz Cheney. If you talk to your liberal friends and relatives right now, I guarantee you they will say, you know, I'm no Republican, but I like that Liz Cheney. She's principled. She puts country over party. She, and they'll recite a bunch of completely meaningless platitudes. And they will do that because Liz Cheney is effectively a liberal Democrat now, and that's the side that she's supporting, and that's, that's who is building her up for the last year and a half or, or multiple years, and now they're shiving her. Why is CNN airing this absolutely humiliating segment for Liz Cheney? They're doing it because CNN can score more points by throwing Liz Cheney under the bus than they now can by building her up. They can now say, these Trump voters are out of their minds. They're pro-insurrection. They love January 6th. Look, Liz Cheney, she did her best and they hate her. She's a joke. She's going to get kicked out now. Because the, the goal was always to attack Republicans, was always to attack conservatives, was always to attack Trump. When Liz Cheney was useful to them to do that, when she was the court jester in the kingdom of liberalism, they built her up and they used her. But now she's no longer useful. Now it's more useful to throw her under the bus. And so they are going to do that. This is a lesson to everyone. This is a lesson I am on my knees pleading with you. Conservatives, Republicans, do not squish. Do not become Liz Cheney. It doesn't pay. <laughs> you know, some people, you'll hear this in, in school. D drugs, not even once. Crime doesn't pay. Stay on the straight and narrow. That's what I'm telling you about not squishing. Do not squish. 
squishing is the wrong thing to do. It's disloyal. It's morally idiotic. If you're siding with the Democrats who want to kill babies and trans the little kids and put Drag Queen Story Hour in kindergarten, if you're on that team, I'm just telling you, you are on the wrong team. Whatever the flaws of the conservatives and the Republicans, if you're on the team of transing the kids and killing the babies, you're on the wrong team. Okay, so it's wrong objectively to side with those people. But as a political matter, it never pays. They will always kill you in the end. They are not on your side. They are using you. And when you're no longer useful, you will be discarded and you will have no one, absolutely no one to come to your aid because you're a rat and a traitor. If you do that, do not squish. Have I made myself clear? I hope so. Recently, we celebrated the one year anniversary of our podcast, Morning Wire. In that short period of time, it has become one of the top news podcasts. I suspect that is because Morning Wire gives you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less without the manufactured outrage. New episodes are available every morning, seven days a week, and they cover the most important stories of the day. So check out Morning Wire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Daily Wire Plus, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be right back with a lot more. Speaking of disloyalty, this story is so sad. A January 6th-er has just been sentenced to seven years in prison. And he's been sentenced to seven years in prison after his son, his 19-year-old son, turned on him, turned him in, testified against him. I actually remember this story when it first bubbled up in the media many months ago. This is Guy Reffitt, 49 years old, convicted of five felonies in March and uh, now looking at seven years in prison. The son, 19-year-old son, said that, that he was disgusted by his father showing up to the Capitol in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. I don't even know that the father ever even went inside the Capitol. I think he may have just been on the Capitol grounds. The son was disgusted by this. The son said that the father threatened him and his sister if they turned him in. The sister contradicts this narrative. The sister sided with the father uh, the son testified against the father. What's so sad about this is not only the two-tiered justice system, because if, if the father had instead been up on charges related to much worse charges at a BLM rally, forget about the Capitol January 6th, if the, this guy, Guy Reffitt, had done 10 times whatever he did at the Capitol on behalf of the BLM organization, he, 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 he probably wouldn't have been arrested. He probably wouldn't have been, certainly wouldn't have been charged. Maybe a little slap on the wrist from the officer. Don't do that again. He'd be right back on the street. But because he's a Trump supporter, he's looking at seven years in the can. That's not even the worst part. We know about the two-tier justice system. What is so sickening to me about this story is the, the destruction of this family, that this political movement, by which I'm talking about the left, has turned a family against each other. I'm not just talking about, I'm not saying that the, the right wing is blameless, or the, but, I, but I am saying this is being driven by the left. Okay, the January 6th witch hunt, the show trial, the selective prosecutions, the two-tier justice system has created such political pressure and demonized half the country as terrorists and insurrectionists and traitors and threats to the country that you've now got families pitted against each other, a son testifying against his father, which is what liberals want. That is what the libs are after. 
They are after the destruction of the family. They are after the destruction of the family because the family is the impediment to their power. Because the family is the fundamental political unit. The libs believe that the fundamental political unit is the individual. That's what they want it to be. When you can break down all of society into just individuals, then it's much easier to gobble them all up into a collective. Leftist political movements have known this for centuries. The conservatives believe that the fundamental unit of society is not the individual, it's the family. That's why we support not only the family, but other associations and civic institutions, because those are mediating mediating institutions between the individual and the all-encompassing state. And the libs want to destroy that, and the basic one they want to destroy is the family. This is why you're seeing the groomer movement from the left. This is why you're seeing the left go into elementary schools and say, hey, kids, talk to us about sex. Don't talk to your families about sex. Hey, your name's not really Johnny. Your name's Jane now. I'm going to call you Jane. I'm not going to call you he. I'm going to call you she. We're going to get you on cross-sex hormones. Don't tell your parents. We're going to pass laws that, that will allow us to groom you in this sexual way without ever notifying your parents. We're going to pass laws to allow you to kill your children through abortion and never have to notify your parents. We want to get between the child and the parents. We think that the parents, the family, is a terrible influence on the kids. We think that we, the state, are a good influence on the kids. So that's why we're going to suppress the family and we're going to encourage the growth of the state. That's what you see in abortion. What is abortion? It's the clearest sort of policy to destroy the family. You're literally killing the kids. You are killing the possibility of the family. This is why you see the articles every time Thanksgiving or Christmas rolls around, all these left-wing articles, how to talk to your crazy conservative uncle at the table, even though you, ha- you have to talk to him, and here's how, you, here's how you can get through that conversation and convince him to be a leftist. And I say this, I am a cr- the c- crazy conservative uncle. I am the uncle they're talking about, okay? <laughs> and so I know, I, I've had these conversations. You don't see that from, from the right. Very rarely do you see from the right, how to talk to your lesbian, transgender, left-wing cousin at the dinner table. We just, we say, how do you talk to your, your left-wing relatives? The same way you talk to your right-wing relatives, you treat them like your family because blood is thicker than water and blood is thicker than the CNN airwaves, okay? That's what conservatives believe. The left-wing thinks that political ideology trumps every single thing else and they look at the family as the enemy. It's a consistent pattern here. And so when, when a family is destroyed because of this January 6th stuff, no, no one's blameless. I'm not saying any, any political movement is totally pristine and angelic. That doesn't exist in politics. But this is being driven by the left. And when that happens, the left is giddy to watch a family break up. You want to talk about family? There's a story I meant to get to yesterday. Sydney Sweeney is an actress on The Handmaid's Tale. You probably have not watched The Handmaid's Tale. I have not. I did watch a few of the first episodes just to see what it was about. I couldn't keep watching. It was just so, it just seems kind of like softcore porn for women. It just seems like kind of these weird sexual fantasies that women have that is, that's not based on reality. That's not, it's not, we're not living in anything like The Handmaid's Tale in America, but, but women have this kind of fantasy that we are, sort of like Fifty Shades of Grey. So I, I said, okay, this is too weird. I'm not, I'm not going to keep watching this. But Sydney Sweeney apparently is one of the actresses on Handmaid's Tale. And she just came out and complained about the way that Hollywood treats women. And she didn't complain about it in the usual way. And she didn't complain about it, about the treatment of women in the way you might expect from The Handmaid's Tale, which is that the conservatives and the patriarchy and the right wing is oppressing women. No, it was the opposite. It was that leftism, feminism is harming women. 
She says, I want to have a family. I've always wanted to be a young mom, and I'm worried about how this industry puts stigmas on young women who have children and looks at them in a different light. I was worried that if I don't work, there's no money and no support for kids that I would have. She made this complaint to Amy Adams, and Amy Adams told her, no, it can be done. You're going to have kids at a young age. But the insecurities over her financial health and the momentum of her career remain years later. This, this young woman, I think, is 24. She's in her mid-20s somewhere. Very, very sad how confused she is. And it's, and it's very sad that, that Hollywood does put this stigma on women who have families. It's almost as if the real threats to women are not coming from the conservatives. They're coming from the leftists. It's almost as if The Handmaid's Tale is depicting the opposite of reality. It's almost as if feminism isn't really good for women. It's almost as if ever since the advent of feminism in the 1970s, modern feminism, you've seen women's happiness consistently decline, both in absolute terms and relative to men. It's almost as if leftism is a total psyop and it's making women completely miserable. A family would make this woman happy. It's, it's not just me making an observation. She knows that too. And she feels that she can't support the family. Why, why not? Well, she says, well, what if I don't make enough money? I can't work. And that's an amazing statement. She's a beautiful, successful young woman. Did it never occur to her that when she has a child, she would, be, she would do that in a marriage and that her husband might work and be able to support her while she's taking care of her child? It's amazing. This woman believes that she is going to have to carry the burden entirely herself. She's going to have to make all the money. She's going to have to care for the kid entirely herself. She's going to have to continue to work, and she's, they're not going to want her to work because Hollywood doesn't like mothers. Hollywood doesn't like families. Hollywood likes people to remain 19 years old forever. And, and when women age, they want to encourage them to pretend to be 19 years old forever. It's never occurred to her. And I, I bet that's true for a lot of women. But ladies, there is another option. You could get married. You could take care of your kid. Not all of life is about money. Not all of, li- about, of life is about looking young forever. Not all of life is about what feminism tells you life is about. And, and the real oppression, the real things that are making you miserable, it's not coming from those right-wingers. It's not coming from the people they tell you to fear. It's coming from your own side. Speaking of female performers, Linda Sanchez, Democrat Congress lady from California, was just at the congressional baseball game, an event that I always liked to attend. If I was in Washington, D.C., I'd try to go to the congressional baseball game. And it's fun. You got the Democrats versus the Republicans. They're generally terrible at baseball. Some of, the, some of the guys are a little bit better than others, but it's fun to go out there. You got the staffers from the Republicans and the Democrats show up. They go to National Stadium. And at this baseball game, usually people are kind of having fun and it's a good time to drop all the partisan rancor. Well, this lady couldn't drop it. Linda Sanchez, she's uh, running. Maybe, I don't know if she got thrown out or struck out or whatever. She's, she's running back and she goes past the Republican dugout and she flips off the Republicans. To lead off the inning, we'll get a pinch runner down there, the fist bump. We'll get an eye on who the pinch runner is going to be. It looks like it's going to be. Jeff. Oh, so it wasn't even that. It was just a pinch runner. So she goes, she hits, she's on base. To a nice ovation. She's jogging back past the Republican well, dugout. And there she goes. She flips them off. <laughs> That's not very nice. So she flips them off. That's not really in the spirit of the congressional base, baseball game. That lady wasn't raised right. And then when she gets called out for it, she denies it. And she says, no, no, I wasn't flipping off the team. 
It was an obnoxious fan who shouts misogynistic S-H-I-T at me every single year. She said, no, it wasn't. I was just reacting to someone else. And she knew she couldn't blame the Republicans in the dugout because there were cameras on them. And you could see none of the Republicans were doing that. And so she says, no, it was a fan behind them. So then a reporter said, okay, well, who's the fan? What did the fan, forget even who's the fan, what did the fan say? And she says, I'm not going to dignify it with a response because it's nasty and it's crude and it has no place at a charity baseball game. So it's BS. She's completely making it up. She flipped off the Republicans and then she got called out for it because it didn't play as well as she thought it would. And then she blamed it on a rowdy fan. Then she refused to give any details about the fan. It's just, it's just made up. This is such a classic lib strategy. They do this all the time. They pretend that their aggression is defensive. They pretend that when they go out and they clobber you and they beat you up and they burn down your businesses and they shut down your country and they attack private citizens, just use BLM as an example. They say, no, that's defensive. We're protecting ourselves because a a drug addict career criminal resisted arrest and was killed in a police in a police involved killing in an altercation where he, w- he was resisting arrest. So now we're going to burn the country down for eight months. Well, that's just defensive. We're not being the aggressive ones. We're being defensive. Uh, yes, we're going to go into the schools. We're going to transgender all your kids. We're going to put gay porn in your elementary school libraries, but that's defensive because of our homophobic culture. Because of our transphobic culture, those trans homophobic parents, that's why we've got to go in and chop off your kids' genitals. It's defensive. We got to go, we're going to kill your babies. Everyone, we got to kill all our babies in America. That's defensive. You see, it's the babies. They're the aggressive ones because they're threatening your career and your money and your individual autonomy. They always pretend that their aggression is defensive. Maybe we should get a little bit aggressive. I'm not saying in the lib way, in the BLM way where we burn down the country. Maybe we should get a little aggressive in the political order. Maybe we should start flexing a little political power. That's what Indiana is doing. The Indiana State Senate just passed a bill that bans virtually all abortions. Uh, This is the first such ban to be advanced since Dobbs. So the Dobbs decision comes down. Roe v. Wade overruled. Planned Parenthood v. Casey overruled. In a number of states, they had trigger laws in effect such that when Roe is overruled, those states would outlaw most abortions. But this is the first state that has gone out and created a new law in the world post-Roe in the the world post-Dobbs decision that says, okay, now we're going to ban abortions. This is really great news. And you know what the effect of that's going to be? Fewer abortions. Because when you pass a law that allows something, you get more of it. And when you pass a law that bans something, you get less of it. There are some ideologues who try to deny that reality, but that's the way things actually work. And as a result, you're going to get more of a culture of life, less of a culture of death. You are going to see, as I've suggested a number of times on this show, though some conservatives don't like to hear it, Very often, culture is downstream of politics. When we flex the political power in a just way that we are given by the people, that can have wonderful effects on the culture. By the way, we don't even need to pass new laws in a lot of cases. We can just resurrect old ones. In Michigan, the Michigan court has just ruled that a 1931 abortion ban can go into effect. There's a a 1931 abortion ban that obviously when Roe v. Wade came out, that law was nixed because the the Supreme Court said, okay, all the pro-life laws are dead now. You have a right to an abortion. So Michigan's local prosecutors, after the Dobbs decision, 
just came out and tried to enforce the state's abortion ban. This was temporarily blocked by a judge in May. Now the Michigan Court of Appeals has ruled that that preliminary injunction blocking the law does not apply to county prosecutors. So the the county prosecutors in Michigan can prosecute people, can prosecute abortionists, can prosecute people who are who are peddling abortion and killing little kids using that 1931 law. What this reminds me is, it was not so long ago that we had a normal country. 1931, it's not that long ago. It's less than 100 years ago. It was not so long ago that we just, people just knew, even in places that we now consider blue states, we just knew, yeah, killing babies is wrong. We can all agree on that. And then the left very rapidly tried to change everything. And they, they very often did it using the mechanism of the Supreme Court, which was, uh, which was quick at the time. It was done in haste, but it didn't win over that public opinion. And what's done in haste can be undone in haste. You think about this. A lot of conservatives now, they're just, they're just total losers. They, just, they want to lose. They don't want to win. Losers never win, as, as has been attributed to Donald Trump, that wonderful quote. Losers never win, okay? So, People will say, we're never going to overrule Roe. We're never going to get back to a normal definition of marriage. We're never going to get the, the Bible or prayer in schools again. We're, that's, such a, that's a pipe dream. You crazy. Oh, you're living in the past, man. That's a pipe dream. It's not a pipe dream. It wasn't so long ago. It wasn't so long ago that people were normal. A lot of people still are normal. And even if people were, were swayed in the middle of the 20th century by some of these crazy liberal arguments, we've now seen them play out. Even if people might have said, look, a little more sexual liberation, maybe that's fine. We see where that ends. That ends at transing the kids. People say, whoa, okay, I don't want that. Learn my lesson. I'm going back. People see where, well, maybe we allow abortion in a few limited circumstances. We see where that ends. Almost a million dead babies per year. Oh, man, we don't want that. We're going to go back, okay? What's done in haste can be undone in haste. We can flex that power. A lot of these things are on the books already. Before we go, major news story out of pop culture. Beyonce is changing the lyrics to her song, Heated. Haven't listened to the song. Haven't listened to the album. She's changing the lyrics because she uses an ableist term that some people are saying is very offensive to the handicapped community. And so Beyonce has come out and she said, okay, I'm going to change the word to the song. I have not listened to the song. I've just printed out the lyrics here. I'm just going to read you one stanza from the song. You tell me what's wrong with this stanza. Never met a girl so fine like this. No, 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 no. Fan me off. I'm hot, hot, hot. With a waist that whine like this. Whine, W-H-I-N-E. Tip, tip, uh, tip on hardwood floors. 10, 10, 10 across the board with a waist that whine like this. Give me face, 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 face. Yeah. Your face card never declines. Eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. Mm, yummy, yummy, yum. Make the bummy heated. Make a pretty girl talk S-H-I-T-T-Y. Whiskey till I'm tipsy. Glitter on my kitty. Ooh. Cool it down, 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 my pretty. Bad, bad, B-I-T-C-H-E. Make that bad, B-I-T-C-H, glitchy. Fine, 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 fine. Liberated living like we ain't got time. Yada, 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 ya, ya, ya. I'm not saying that. That's actually in the lyrics. Yada, 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 bomb, bomb, caca, spazzin on that ASS, spazzin on that ASS, fan me quick, girl, I need my glass, fan me off, my wrist goes click, dimples on my hip, stretch marks on my TITS, drink in my water, mind in my biz, Monday I'm overrated, Tuesday on my 
D-I-C-K. And, and then it actually somehow sort of gets worse. I'll just leave it there. The reason that she has to change the words is because of the word spaz. <laughs> Everything else is totally fine. The problem with this song is the word spaz. And they're saying it's ableist, which is ridiculous. Because obviously, whoever wrote this song is extremely mentally deficient. So I don't see how in any way this could be called ableist, but that's the word. You're not allowed to use that word. Spaz, this is apparently offensive to some disabled people. So the song will have that word changed. It will remain absolute degenerate filth, but that one word is going to be switched out. What a sad statement on our culture. That's what's wrong with the song. That's, how is this even a song? I don't know how you could even call this a song. Very, very sad that we are living in, in that culture. Very, very, that's it. Don't you think it's a little misogynistic, by the way, not to sound like a lib? Don't you think it's a little offensive to women, treating women just like sex objects or men like sex objects? Or don't you think it's a little vulgar and obscene and just, no. It's just that it's offensive to spastic people. How do you get to a culture like this? How do, you get, how do you get to a culture like heated? Like, like whatever Beyonce is singing about. Part of it is just something in the air, something in the water, something in the zeitgeist. But a lot of this is from politics. A lot of this is from the law. The law is a teacher. Okay? And the, the sexual revolution was not just a cause of the changes in law. The, law. the changes in law was a cause of the sexual revolution as well. Okay? And so if, if conservatives want to... Uh, want to change more of these lyrics, not just the ableist lyrics, but all of them. If we want to get back to a culture that is not just so degraded and treats people like absolute animals and starts treating people like people again, and it actually has some beauty to it and poetry and lifts our eyes up a little bit beyond just the things that are flapping and dapping and ya 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 on the floor with the face, face, face. If, if we want to have a culture that is edifying and flourishing, we've got to take on this issue. The libs always say, why are conservatives so obsessed with sex? We're the ones obsessed with sex. You're the ones pushing this crap. You're the ones pushing all these laws and grooming the kids and putting sex everywhere in the culture. You're the ones doing that because you know that it is so extremely effective at, at uh, pulling out people's uh, lowest, basest appetites. You know, it's so central to human nature. You know, it's, it is so influential on political society. Maybe we need to start wielding political power in the opposite way that the libs did for the last century to try to restore a more normal culture. Otherwise, we're going to be spazzing and flapping and yapping and doing all sorts of stuff, and that, that will not be good for anybody. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. 
Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Nancy Pelosi prepares to visit Taiwan as the Chinese threaten war. The military kills Ayman al-Zawahri with a drone strike. But why exactly is he in Kabul? And Beyonce is forced to change her lyrics thanks to political correctness. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm. 